most successful realtors, from what my experience is, is they have the heart of a servant. And I really feel that this trait is more prevalent in realtors than in almost any other profession. And from an association executive perspective, it is beyond inspiring to see so many realtors from across the country taking time away from their businesses and their families for the betterment and growth of their industry. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, General Manager of the U.S. Market for Rate My Agent a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents leverage the power of verified reviews. You can find out more at ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 273 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and really thank you so much for telling a friend. Uh, Today, we're going to stay in the Tampa Bay area. Last week, we had Ellie Lambert, the president of the Greater Tampa Realtors. And I thought, you know, let's kind of dig a little deeper into the association world. We're talking with Dennis McDonald, who's the CEO, the AE of the Greater Tampa Realtors, been there for about four four years or so. And it's going to be exciting to talk to him, especially with what's happening in the Tampa region, the market, just everything that's going on. So it's excited to get started. Dennis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. Really appreciate it. Such an honor to be here. Ah, yeah, I'm a, it's an honor to have you on the show. We've, you know, I've I've known you for well, I've been in the area for four years. So when I was with Fidelity National Title and and doing some things, you know, Grace was super kind to invite me to help out, and uh, I love what what GTR does. I think they're uh, it's an amazing association. So it's really my bad for not having you on here sooner. Well, we're lucky enough to have you as a partner and a regular face at our association, whether it's uh, in person or via Zoom. Yeah. That's it's a via Zoom. Man, getting tired of that. Uh, <laughs> another, let's say another six months, maybe we'll see. Um, so I like to find out about the background of my guests first, like where they grew up. And and you're one of those rare birds that we find sometimes in Florida, a native, someone who grew up in, in South Florida, I believe, right? That's right. I was uh, born and raised South Floridian, and that's uh, quite a rare bird. Uh, so uh, I'm very proud of it, though. I, would, you know, I happened to bump into more native Floridians here in Tampa than any other place I've been in Florida. Yeah. So you're on the East coast, right? In South Florida. So that is heavy, heavy Northeast of the United States kind of, is that really the the population that kind of migrates to the East coast? Let's talk about that. The East coast, West coast differences. You, you, you've done both now. I have. Um, well, I, I, in terms of people, I, I would agree with you. I feel that, you know, South Florida has that, uh, you know, New York, New Jersey kind of uh, vibe. And uh, over here in Tampa has the, you know, the Midwest kind of feel. So I love dealing with both kinds of people, but uh, it's definitely different. And um, having been, been someone who's grown up in South Florida my whole life and moved over to Tampa, I prefer. I prefer Tampa. Not that I don't like South Florida, but I really enjoy it. Maybe it's just because it's a change of pace, but I'm I'm really loving Tampa. So the Gulf doesn't have waves and the Atlantic does. And that's always been the, I grew up in San Diego, so there's always waves. I'm still getting over the fact that it looks like an ocean, but it's not. Yeah, I would agree. Probably the biggest physical difference from South Florida is is that golf. Uh, and I do prefer the beaches of, you know, South Florida. Uh, I just feel like the water, the sand is different. But uh, just the other week, I believe St. Pete was named the number one beach in America and the fifth best beach in the world, according to TripAdvisor. So uh, yeah. having that just be a quick jump over the bridge for me, I have zero complaints. 
Yeah. Yeah. We were, we spent some time there this weekend. So yeah, it was awesome. Um, let's see. Biggest misconception about South Florida. Hmm. I would probably say that some people think that South Florida is just Miami. And uh, don't get me wrong, Miami is an amazing city. There is a whole slew of culture, amazing things to do there. But there's a ton of other really outstanding places in South Florida in addition to Miami. Yeah, I, I've been over there a little bit. Like I've been up in the plantation area and in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale and Palm Beach. I mean, th- there's so much going on, right? But 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 boy, the condos of Miami are pretty impressive. <laughs> Oh, it's outstanding. And it's got a great skyline view, which is kind of rare in Florida. So yeah. that's very, very impressive. You've got that that real city feel. And there's a lot of other areas like Tampa and Jacksonville and Orlando. And, you know, those the, the, the construction crane is the uh, definitely the national bird of uh, Florida. <laughs> your uh, real estate's part of your family, I think. I look in doing some research. It's been you, your uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. I'm uh, from a second generation realtor family. So both of my parents were in real estate my entire life. I uh, literally grew up in real estate offices. Uh, Some of my most earliest memories were going to my parents to their office and keeping busy while they scoured the MLS books. Yes, the books. (laughs) The, uh, The first computer that I ever used was actually in a real estate office, even though uh, by today's standards, I think it would be more like a glorified word processor with the, uh, you know, the orange text or the green text and the black screen. So uh, it, it was it was a great experience. Uh, you know, I, and I would as I was growing up, the computers began to replace the books. And as I got old enough and I became a, a helper for my parents in the real estate business, uh, leaning on me to help them with technology. So uh, it was really terrific being part of that and um, seeing that and working with my parents as I grew up and as I became into adulthood, I really began to appreciate how hard they worked. You know, all of the frustrations that come along with being in the real estate profession, being available 24 seven, going above and beyond to get the deal done. Even if that means doing part of the other agent's job, uh, (laughs) putting in the, the hundreds of hours into a buyer or a seller just to sometimes see a deal vanish before your eyes. So, you know, as an adult now, having that perspective and, and, and being part of it and living it uh, as, you know, as part of my family, it's really helped me empathize with the service that Realtors provide and the, and the profession. Uh, but, you know, despite the ups and downs, being a Realtor is probably one of the most rewarding career paths that I think there is. Uh, not many people can turn hopes into homes, and that's just very exciting to be a part of. Now, I, I've had some other guests on the show where their their parents are involved and they went, the last thing I want to do is get involved in real estate. I saw how much time my mom and dad put into it. Was there a little bit of that in you maybe when you were in your teens? Yeah. Yeah, there absolutely was. Uh, I, I appreciated it very much. I enjoyed working with them, assisting with them, uh, you know, working in their office, doing things for them. But I, I definitely did not see myself being a, a full-time realtor and carrying on that tradition. So you, you head off to uh, Florida Atlantic University, the Mighty Owls, and for your undergrad work, uh, get an MBA from Nova Southeastern. Your, I think it was your focus was business. Um, were you thinking about something outside of real estate at that time, or did were you already kind of you know knew a little bit about the association world? And we're, we're we're leaning that way. I actually, at the time, I, I wasn't. I was. Okay. 
dead set almost from high school on being a corporate attorney specializing in mergers and acquisitions. And while I don't list it on my resume, I also attended the uh, the Shepherd Bra Law School down there in at Nova in Fort Lauderdale. And I also was enrolled concurrently in a PhD program for conflict resolution. So I was a, a failed attorney, one of those stories. Wow. <laughs> yeah, in a PhD program as well. That I mean, that that is a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was outstanding. Uh, you know, I learned a lot. Um, I ended up not finishing the program, but it, it just part of it was a, a tremendous experience. You know, uh, it, it happened right around the time of the, uh, the housing crash. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there in, in law school in a PhD program. My student loan debt is skyrocketing to, you know, six figures. My, uh, my friend's siblings are graduating from law school and they're getting jobs at law firms working 80 hours a week for 30 to 40,000. They're just miserable. Uh, you know, there was a, just a harsh reality that set in and going to law school and seeing how the justice system can really be sometimes. It was quite an eye opening experience. And then, uh, fork in the road appeared. Yeah. So this, is this how the association world uh, enters the picture? Yeah, it sure did. Uh, you know, I, I, I could have gone down the one path and continued to rack up debt and become an attorney. But, you know, I, I, I saw that, you know, my family's in the housing industry, the, the housing market is just being ravished. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I really need to put school on hold and start working. So after deciding that I was going to take a break from law school, I decided to start utilizing my MBA. I had a really wonderful professor who was a great mentor and he helped me get started. And uh, it was really terrific. I was working uh, in, a, in a consultant fashion, kind of like a realtor, commission-based and uh, working project to project. And I got to work with various businesses and consult with them for management and marketing and advertising and even technology consulting. It was really terrific and rewarding. Uh, and then a couple years, I got an opportunity. It was presented before me about uh, a realtor association. And they needed someone with a strong background in business planning and professional standards and education and real estate. And I was thinking to myself, check, check, check. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. So I uh, went and I did the interview and I nailed it. And that is what began my journey in association management. You're there for how long? I was there for a little bit over five years. Much like uh, a lot of other CEOs I've talked to uh, at the association level, someone comes calling. There's a retirement usually in the uh, world of, of the association land and, and uh, someone's probably helping do a search for a, a new CEO. At, at the time, GTAR was kind of the way it was known, right? So what was that like? You're, you're, and, and, and what was that primary factor that had you leave South Florida and head up to the, uh, the West Coast? Well, I was really ready for a new challenge. And uh, it was a tremendous opportunity to be the CEO of GTAR. Uh, you know, the Realtors Association of the Palm Beaches was, when I came on board at first, it was in a tremendous state of growth and innovation. Uh, and I took every opportunity right by the horns. And I moved up through the organization very quickly, uh, all the way up to overseeing the Treasure Coast Division of the organization. And uh, those St. Lucie County realtors that I had the privilege of working with were probably some of the uh, most genuine, fun, and caring realtors in the business. And it was kind of difficult for me to, to leave such a, a great association and, and such great members. 
but they knew it was for best for me and they fully supported my decision. So really it was just a matter of, you know, a tremendous opportunity and, um, you know, they were very supportive and I had a couple of mentors there that I had met with and confided in them on this job. And, you know, as much as they love working with me and I love working with them, they said, you got to go, you got to go for it. And if you're not feeling uncomfortable, then you're not growing. And if you feel that, you know, that feeling in your stomach, you just need to go for it and just, just take it. So uh, it, it was, it was a difficult decision, but I am absolutely glad that I did it. It has been amazing. You know, you all that, all that experience you gathered and that's those five years down there really served you well here, right? Because I know that um, you really worked hard on like culture and brand, right? At Greater Tampa Realtors. And I, that that's the first thing I think that sticks out for me was to this day, I think you know this, that uh, some of the old timers are always going to call it GTAR, but it's not GTAR anymore. It's GTR or Greater Tampa Realtors. Uh, you were a factor in that. Why was that so important? Well, you know, GTAR uh, has always been and is an extremely well-respected in- institution in our industry. Yeah. Uh, not everybody even knows this, but the first president of Greater Tampa Realtors 110 years ago went on and formed the state association, Florida Realtors. So becoming the CEO of such a prestigious organization was incredibly humbling. Um, you know, and I, I met with the leaders uh, when I first got the job and they were completely transparent about the goals of the organization, what challenges I might likely encounter, the direction the organization was looking to go. And it, it, just the summation of that was they were looking to take everything to the next level. And they had a, a long, luxurious history uh, with a lot of amazing traditions. And they were looking to not only honor those but just see what see what can do. Open it up and uh, really take it to the next level. So the things that I had done in my prior job at the, the Palm Beaches and the Treasure Coast aligned perfectly with the goals of Greater Tampa Realtors. So you know I was just off to the races and uh, navigating a culture and brand is just such an exhilarating experience. It's one of the things that I find the most joy in and, and changing that culture. Uh, and we successfully transformed GTAR into GTR over the past four years. And now in my fifth year, which just happens to be today, today, March 1st is my fifth year anniversary. Wow. Yeah. We're looking to continue to push that envelope with uh, an amazing 2021 through 2023 strategic plan. Volunteerism in the world of real estate is something that I'm, I'm always impressed with. There's it, it really drives, you know, um, a lot of great things, a lot of change, a lot of innovation. Talk talk about why that's so important for you. Well, volunteerism, it's truly the lifeblood of the Realtor Association model. Most successful realtors, from what my experience is, is they have the heart of a servant. And I really feel that this trait is more prevalent in realtors than in almost any other profession. And from an association executive perspective, it is beyond inspiring to see so many realtors from across the country taking time away from their businesses and their families for the betterment and growth of their industry. It's like nothing else. It's truly like a realtor family. I know that's the cliche, but um, the volunteerism is more than just volunteerism. It's it's a family. It's a bond. It's looking out for your fellow realtor. It's going above and beyond to change the the profession in a good way. It's uh, it's an amazing thing to be a part of, and I, I think it's truly like no other industry. I like I've interviewed a lot of AEs, and 
nonprofit leadership is is definitely different than for-profit leadership. And I want you, can you can you talk about um I'll call it the intricacies of of answering to a board that's comprised of those same volunteers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> and, uh, in, in all seriousness, it's probably the most rewarding and occasionally the most challenging part of the job. Nothing is more fulfilling, in my opinion, than bringing together a room full of leaders that are synced as a unified force. It's, uh, it's truly exhilarating. And, but getting there, getting there can be the challenge. The annual leadership turnover can create learning curves. Uh, you can have setbacks with that momentum as the new leaders get up to speed and altitude with the rest of the group. People are joining on while other people may have been there for you know one year, two years, three years. So that tends to kind of slow things down a little bit. So you start the year a little bit slower with more questions, and then you pick up pace as everyone starts to get into the groove. Uh, occasionally, you can have personality clashes. You can have people who want to maybe pull things in the opposite direction of where everyone else wants to go. And that can be frustrating. But ultimately, at the core of it all, what you'll always find are dedicated volunteers that are doing what they think is best for the members that they serve. And I really think you can't ask for anything more than that. I had the opportunity to actually help facilitate a strat plan meeting for the uh, Arizona Association of Realtors about five, six years ago. And, you know, those are, those are very intense days, you know, the, the work that goes into that. How, how tough can that be sometimes when you just talked about it, when you've got people who are relatively new to the process, but then you've got other people that have been in the process for a decade? Um, I've been the strategic facilitator for for Greater Tampa twice, so I have some firsthand experience doing this in the past. I think the mix of people that you have and what you described is really what you need to have a successful strategic plan. Uh, if you have everyone that's been there forever, you're not going to get any new ideas. If, if you have people that aren't questioning things and that aren't critical and that aren't thinking of, well, what about the way we used to do it? Or what about this way instead of that way? The, the dynamic of the group should be diverse. You, you want to have discussions. You want to have discourse. You want to have disagreements to some extent. It's healthy for growth. You, you want to look at things critically. So I think having that mix of people in there can be a frustration at times, but ultimately that end result is going to be better for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's that growth you're looking for and you can't grow without a little bit of, I don't want to call it conflict, but you got to have ideas. Yeah. That's great. Um, let's talk about, we have to mention, we can't ignore, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, talk about what, what did you discover about your operation, your staff, um, you know, maybe the board during the pandemic? Cause I know we all kind of, I know I discovered a lot of things about, you know, uh, Fidelity national title when I was there during the beginning of that. How about for you at, at GTR? Well, I discovered that we are very blessed we were blessed and are blessed to have an amazing president in 2020 that was at the helm calling the emergency meetings that needed to be held. We have the current support of an amazing president while we're still going through the pandemic. We had and have a board that is supporting all of the decisions that needed to be made. We have a, a tireless staff that is carrying out the actions that need to be taken. 
we really, we never missed a beat. We somehow, despite all of the chaos and everything that happened and real estate essentially being shut down for nearly a month here in Florida with the testing centers just completely closed and it was at a halt for a while for, from the association perspective, we somehow managed to increase all of our service engagement metrics in 2020 and have record setting numbers for engagement. So uh, despite it being a absolutely just chaotic, terrible, uh, upsetting and uh, unprecedented time, we pulled off some really fantastic things. And there's just a, a lot of positive that has come from this. And it's, it's opened up a perspective of looking at things that I don't think we could have ever done. Uh, the, the technology perspective and, and how fast we've moved in that direction. And, uh, you know, if you were to go to me two years ago and say that we'd be doing all of our committee meetings via Zoom, I would say you're out of your mind. But now our people prefer it because they don't have that super long time commitment. And in, with Tampa, you can have an hour drive down, an hour meeting and an hour drive back. So you're giving up three hours of time for a one hour meeting with Zoom you know, you're in and you're out. So our, our volunteers are enjoying this and we're, we're, we're happy to see some positives come out of all this. Yeah, it definitely accelerated, I think, where, where we were headed, where we were headed eventually, right? Um, it felt, I know the same thing happened with remote notaries and all this other stuff. And it just, it, there's a whole lot of negative associated with this, but boy, there, there are some, there are some silver linings. Absolutely. Yeah. Dennis, there are some associations that are, when it, when you talk about engagement, that they're they're almost going on different like tiers of engagement based on the types of um, members that you have, because you have some that are heavily productive and it's a full time you know path, and there are others and there's nothing wrong with this that have have it as more of a part time um, kind of a an ancillary you know path, and so you know for you to get some massive number of participations is not realistic correct it's it's got to be more tiered based on um based on the break the breakdown of your membership is that is that a, a fair statement uh it's possible it, it's it's hard for us to gauge who is doing something part-time or what part-time or full-time really means uh the way that that we kind of look at that is is real estate your primary source of income and that's just one of those metrics that is it's very difficult to see so when we're pulling our back-end metrics and we're looking at things we would love to know if you know this is a you know quote unquote full time realtor or a part time realtor. Uh, we do have some special things in place in our CRM that ties the MLS statistics uh, and the sales back to the the contact record. So what we can estimate is is if someone is having enough income to maintain this as a, a full-time profession or a primary source of income. So without getting into the particulars of how we are calculating that, we, we do look at that. And I do think that that has a lot to do with it, uh, with the engagement, with the metrics of um, how people are getting involved, especially with the pandemic, when a lot of people had time on their hands. We were seeing members who had never engaged with the association before start engaging with the association. Um, it might have happened as a result of just not having to, to give so much of your time to try something out. In the past, you know, you'd have to come down in person. You'd have to, you know, take the drive, schedule your time. If you want to get involved now, you can just 
hop on a Zoom and click a button and you're there and you're engaging and you're listening. And if you find value in it, then you're staying. And if not, it's just, it's not that much of a commitment anymore. So uh, we have seen a lot of people that have never engaged before get engaged. And I, I do think you you hit on something there uh, in terms of whether they're full-time or part-time or primary source of income or not. And it is something that we are looking at. And, uh, you know, Tears is something that MLSs are moving towards and a lot of other associations are moving towards like a, a tiered membership. So uh, it's, it's probably the way of the future. Dennis, the industry as a whole um, is coming off an unbelievable year. I don't know how that many homes were sold. There's this incredible shortage in inventory at the moment. Uh, it's just who would have thought this is where we would be one year into um, one of the worst pandemics in over a century. <laughs> but going forward, what are some of the biggest challenges you see facing the industry as a whole? And, and, and even maybe even if you want to get specific, you know, the Tampa Bay area. Sure. Well, I, I think one of the biggest challenges facing our industry, and I, I don't really know if it's a challenge. I think it's an opportunity. Hmm. Uh, it's the property technology, the uh, prop tech. Prop tech juggernauts are looking to redefine real estate transactions in our industry. That's it's evolving. The real estate transaction of you know the past few years or decades or however long it has been static, it is being evolved. It's becoming consumer centric. So you know we could probably spend a whole podcast talking just about that. But uh, for realtor associations, I, I feel that it boils down to the basics, which is member value. And to put it even more bluntly, if membership wasn't a requirement to access the MLS, does your association provide enough value to keep your members part of your organization? The traditional pillars of service have to be reimagined if associations are to remain relevant. Yeah, relevance, relevance. <laughs> That's an important word, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it shouldn't have to come to that. But, you know, as the transaction is evolving, the needs of our members are changing. The needs of the industry is changing. And the association has an opportunity to be the, the conduit, to be something that can show our agents what is happening. Try to get in front of it. Try to walk alongside it. Uh, it's, it's becoming consumer centric. And I don't know if there's much that can be done to change that. So what does this transaction look like in the future? How can we make sure that our realtor members are prepared for these changes and the competition and the disruptors? What are they going to do? What is going to happen? These are the types of answers that associations across the country just they have to focus on and we have to help our members be prepared for it. Now, is this, you know, the, the sky is falling, the end of days for realtors? Absolutely not. I, I don't think so whatsoever. But are things changing and is it going to be the same as it was before? I don't think so. And I think if you look at it from a perspective of, you know, we need to fight this, we need to fight this, we need to bring it back to the way that it was. I don't know if that's a winning battle. Yeah. I, I just don't. I, I think that we have to look at this as evolution and we have to, to plan together of how to evolve and provide value at the same time. And I think that that is really the core of, of what needs to be the focus for uh, our industry, for the, the association industry. Yeah, the, the realtor is never going away. I, I'm, I fully believe that. I know you do too. Um, but the way that things are going to get done and, and the way technology is going to be a part of it. And, and some of these other, you know, um, I'll call, we don't need to call them disruptors, but just other models are all going to be part of 
the new the new normal, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and specifically, you, you mentioned the Tampa Bay area now, or as most refer to it as the Champa Bay area. There you go. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> our our number one problem right now is is probably inventory, as you mentioned. the uh, The market is on fire. It's an understatement. Tampa Bay has been recognized in just about every major publication over the past year or two. And the national attention from all the sports championships has just really been the icing on the cake for an already insane market. Uh, In most instances, the media attention alone would probably create an inventory shortage. But on top of all of the great things that have been happening and all the wonderful mentions that have occurred in our city that has brought the spotlight, uh, you have inventory that's exacerbated by record low interest rates. You have mortgage forbearance, foreclosure moratoriums, lumber and construction relating shortages. Uh, rapidly appreciating home values that people want to jump on, and uh, so on and so on. So it's 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 been rough, but as fast as the houses are listed, they are sold and they are moving, and uh, things are still going on. So it's just an extremely hot market, despite there being low inventory, uh, you know, record low. Like I think that we are below below one month almost at this point. The last I had checked, and and I I regularly chat with folks that have been in the real estate market in Tampa. They've lived here their whole life. They've been licensed since before I was born, and they are telling me that they have never in their history of you know over forty years in some cases seen numbers this this hot this low this you know things are moving and it's. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, Dennis, look, I've had you here um, past the time I've asked of your time. You got to get back to work. So let me ask you the same question that I've asked every guest on the podcast since the, the first episode. That is, what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just starting in the business? Utilize your realtor membership. You have an arsenal of tools and resources available at your fingertips. Your association staff is there to help you succeed. Get involved find a mentor, pick a staff member's brain, learn from one of your peer realtor experts who are at a place in their career where they want to give back to their industry and get involved in something bigger than yourself. Join the local YPN or get involved defending property homeowner rights through investing in RPAC or being active in local government affairs. The Realtor Association is the perfect place to surround yourself with people who are successful and have been where you are now. A successful Realtor's Comfort Zone is anywhere and anytime. Are you ready for that? Because if you've made it this far, I think that you are. That's great. Dennis, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way to reach out to me is my cell phone. Feel free to call me anytime, 813-616-0897. Or you can email me at dennis at tamparealtors.org. Dennis, thank you so much for your time today. This is really cool. I mean, I've, I've had the chance to kind of, you know, hang out a little bit with you and and, and watch some of the things you do uh, at the association, but it's always fun to get the the story behind the stories. And so thanks. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. (laughs) 